Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 126. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And now, more than any other time, now, in the deep depths of the summer, it's still a time to stay vigilant. It's August, and it's hot, and getting hotter. Things are heating up everywhere. From the Delta virus spreading like a wildfire, to the real wildfires burning down the West, to the Olympics heating up our screens as world records are broken almost every day, it's as hot as it gets in America. And of course, we can't forget that dumpster fire that burns perpetually in Washington, D.C. as a memorial to our failed political parties. But we like to keep it cool here and stay frosty. And we're bringing light, not heat. And this episode is no different. It's a flashback to July 18th, 2019. And episode 16 was Soledad O'Brien. As a world of politics and sports continue to intersect, this is a gem you definitely want to check out. It's fun, witty, and thought-provoking. If you never heard this conversation, you're in for a treat. And if you're a longtime listener, you're going to enjoy hearing this smoker again. But before we get to that, Simone Biles has dominated the national and international conversation. And I talked about it last episode. She's a true patriot. And by stepping away, she set maybe the most powerful example she's ever set. She showed that reaching out for help and dealing with mental health issues is not weakness, it's strength. And that's a message we've continued to send throughout the history of this show. Mental health, unity, compassion, and support is key, especially as we finish one phase of the pandemic and potentially enter another. Because we're still dealing with the after effects of the insurrection that took place in the Capitol on January 6th. This week, we learned that a third and a fourth Capitol Hill police officer that responded to the January 6th attack has died by suicide. Officer Gunther Hashida was lost on July 29th. He was a devoted and loving husband and father. He worked to serve and protect the public. And he survived by two sons who now have lost their father. And just one day later, Metro PD confirmed the loss of another officer. Officer Kyle DeFreitag died by suicide just hours after the department confirmed that Officer Hashida had died by suicide. Both defended the Capitol on January 6th. And Officer DeFreitag leaves behind three children. These are truly tragic losses. And I've gotten the question a lot, asking me why. After almost 20 years of working with veterans on mental health and PTSD and suicide, I know the truth is that suicide is terribly complicated, but trauma, stress, and isolation are all often contributing factors, and there's no magic bullet to stop suicide, but the closest thing to it is hope and connection. If you're struggling, know that you're not alone. Police officers are dealing with it. Members of Congress are dealing with it. Olympic legends like Simone Biles are dealing with it. And help is out there. If you or someone you know is experiencing an emergency, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 
1-800-273-TALK. It's 1-800-273-TALK. And props to many in the media who are finally using the proper language in reporting on suicide. For example, the Daily Beast properly used the term in their headline, died by suicide. But too many in the media get it wrong. We've got to be thoughtful about our language, about our response, and about our resources. And it's all important to consider in relation to the Simone Biles news. Her courage in opening up is a sign of strength, not weakness. Asking for help is strength, not weakness. And it's why attacks on her are not just disgusting, but dangerous. Just like the attacks on the Capitol Hill police officers. Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, and others have diminished and disrespected their service, saying they were overplaying or exaggerating their experiences. I've been in combat, and I think what those guys and gals experienced on January 6th sure look like combat to me. And it's time to start treating them and respecting them like combat veterans. And contagion and clustering after suicides is real. But there's more science behind it and how you can help on our Twitter page and information on how the media can do a better job of covering high-profile cases of suicide. If you work in the media especially, please get smart and use the best practices. It's also relevant for many of the veterans out there who are struggling to reconcile the end of Afghanistan, especially knowing so many of our allies have been left behind, our interpreters, our translators, so many brave Afghans who stood up to stand with us have been left behind. There's some good news on that front, because after months and months of advocacy, we finally got the first group of 400 Afghan translators back to Fort Lee in the U.S., but there are tens of thousands to go. Check out the hashtag Save Our Allies and help us save those who stood with us. The stress is real, folks, even in the summer, even when we're on vacation, and especially as we contemplate the rise of the Delta variant and what could be a daunting fall. America's had a Me Too reckoning. America's had a Black Lives Matter racial injustice reckoning. These new Capitol Hill officer suicides, the situation in Afghanistan, and the controversy surrounding Simone Biles show that now is also a time for America to have a mental health reckoning. It's time. And never forget that you can help us have a real reckoning around what happened on January 6th by checking FBI.gov, following them on Twitter and social media, and remember that many of the terrorists who attacked the Capitol on January 6th are still out there. So help the FBI share the photos, share the videos, and stay vigilant. Be sure to check out independentamericans.us for more information, for resources, for our social media, and for ways to get merch. We've got great Independent Americans merch that'll take you through the rest of the summer and into the fall. And we'll have new conversations coming up in the next few weeks and new shows from Righteous Media. But for now, we're going to flash back to one of my favorite conversations that sits at the powerful intersection between politics, media, mental health, and sports, and maybe gave us the first and maybe only wrong answer to the favorite drink question. There's only one Soledad O'Brien. She's covered sports, race, politics, and media in America for decades. And our conversation was one of the most downloaded ever. And I hope it starts your August off with a bang and helps you power through the end of the summer and into what's sure to be a spicy fall. Thanks especially to our Patreon members who continue to support this show and everything we're doing. If you're not a member, check us out on Patreon. And of course, be sure to subscribe 
and tell your friends about this show. Independent Americans continues to grow all around the world. We've got listeners representing more countries than there are athletes in the Olympics. And just like America, we're bringing home the gold. And we're giving it a hell of an effort. Here it is, my conversation with the great Soledad O'Brien. Happy August, everybody. Stay vigilant. Angry Americans would like to proudly and excitedly welcome the great Soledad O'Brien to the show. Thank you so much. And, and I love that I have my carry size, handbag size fireball. I ask everybody what their drink of choice is. Does anybody else pick fireball? No, yeah. this is amazing. So I didn't fireball, realize that fireball was like Jägermeister. I mean, fireball is serious. It's like I mean, a 20 year old bro drink. It's a really surprising choice. I did not know it's such that. A surprising I just thought choice. it was tasty cinnamon whiskey. What and I, then one day is? I ordered it at and a place. I will, I will pour us on the Thank case. Thank you. And they some. said to me that they didn't have it, but I could have Jägermeister. I was like, oh my oh, God. Oh, Jägermeister is so much worse. <laughs> I said, is it, is it considered to be the same as Jägermeister? You know what? The only thing is that we generally go with American whiskey. So I had to oh. find out where Fireball no, is no, from. No, no, it needs to have a lot of sugar in it. Yes. And Fireball comes from Canada, apparently. Oh, I didn't know. Um, actually, now this one says Frankfort, Kentucky. Oh. So, but it's a product of Canada. Yeah. Which might be fitting given current events because a lot of people are probably going to Canada today <laughs> given the way our president is reacting. Oh. But first of all, thank you for joining us it's on the show. I've been pleasure. excited to How try to How do I get an angry t-shirt? You will get an angry t-shirt. I promise you. I love you. that. But when I conceived of this show, I wanted to cover so many different topics. Mm -hmm. I wanted to cover politics. Yeah. I wanted to cover social and current events. I wanted to cover race. I wanted to cover the media. I wanted All to link together. Yeah. And, and, and just the timing of this week made it a perfect time to right. talk to you right? because your career and your life has spanned all those things. All those things. Yeah. So, I humbly thank you for coming right it now at this moment. It is my pleasure and my honor. And, and because I think you have become, in many ways, a very righteous voice for many Americans. I better drink my fireball. For, so we can toast a Here fireball go, to America. start. And hopefully not to the end of the republic. Mm. I have great faith in our republic, believe it or not. Can you expand on that? Because sure. this, is, this is a really crazy oh, time. Like right now, as we sit here, the president... Is, there's this kind of maybe a tipping point. I'd ask you to shape it up as you see it, right? Maybe it's a validation of what many of us or others have seen. But the president has now tweeted something that it seems like most of America considers racist. Yeah. The, listen, uh, President Trump has been a racist and a bigot for a long time. And I've been highlighting it. And there's tons of data. That's not just my opinion. There's a, a, a ton of data and examples of it. Um, I think what, I don't think it's a tipping point. I think what's sad, what really does break my heart, and I think we've seen this for a long time, is the number of elected officials who just don't want to say anything. And, and these are often people who um, talk a lot about their values and what they believe. Ben Sass wrote a whole book about how millennials are failing in their values compared to us older folks. And yet at the end of the day, when the moment comes to stand up and say, listen, we might not agree on a lot of shit, but like this crap is wrong. It's just silence. And that just kind of breaks your heart. You know, that, that actually makes me really sad. I don't think it's a tipping point. I don't think it, it matters in the bigger conversation. I think the media will run after it. And it'll be a big hyperventilating story. It'll remove some of the focus off of the Epstein um, court date that we're seeing right now and what's unfolding there which is crazy in and of itself. And, um, and everybody will go along their merry way. And as we move 
you know, toward an election, people will have to decide who they want to vote for and who they want, you know, whose values will represent. Uh, the saddest thing for me has never been Trump. It's always been people that I like. I mean, like Mitt Romney. I, I, I don't think politically we're particularly aligned, um, but I think he's a decent human being. I think he's a good person. I think he's he's got a reputation of being a, a, a good father and a good human being. Um, I, I think um, Marco Rubio is kind of a, like a little bit of a wuss, but um, and always has been. He just, you know, he has to take the temperature. Does it become a clarifying moment? There was a piece in the Daily Beast, and I forgot the author's name, where where no. the, the title was Trump is a racist, and if you support him, you are too. So does this become a moment where you find out what Rubio is really made of, where you can really test Mitt Romney, you can test others and say, if you don't call him out now, then you're this. complicit. This is, is that, is that moment? Had, this is moment number 724, right? There've been so many of things that were just disgusting and despicable and where somebody who holds themselves to a higher value needs to say, this over here is not okay. And what we've really seen is that our elected officials are just very unwilling to do that and because they fear the the personal cost or their career cost. And that that I find really sad, but I'm not surprised. Can it be an, an organizing moment? Because you've covered, you know, race in America. You did a series on CNN called Black in America, right? Can this be a, a rally point for organizers? I saw Presley, the congresswoman from Massachusetts today, um, said in, in a Boston Globe piece that we are the squad, the, the four freshman uh, representatives that are all three or four of women of color. They're all born in America. And he's, he's now said, you know, go back to your country. But she's, I think, smartly said, we are all the squad not just the four of us, but anyone who opposes him, anyone who, who feels that there is injustice, we are all the squad. So can this become a rally point for the opposition or for maybe moderates who are on the fence? I think we, we used to have a day where when someone said, remember there was a time when if someone said something crazy or racist or misogynistic, everyone would be like, well, I guess they're leaving their job. I guess they're going to step down. Three, two, one. Yep, they go. That doesn't exist anymore. And then that actually is another, I think, very sad legacy of, of Donald Trump. There's a, um, a Chinese diplomat who was talking about D.C. today. I was tweeting what he said. I mean, just just overtly racist, talking about, you know, the neighborhood, the southwest part of D.C. And how, and by the way, the guy, I think he's in Pakistan. Like, I think he's actually posted to Pakistan. It's like, right. shut the fuck up. You don't even know right. what you're talking about. <laughs> But but it's it's opened up the doors for people to say racist and despicable things. And that is also really sad, but also that there's no, he'll keep his job. There's no cost to that. It won't matter. Everyone will be like, there's 10 other things going on. We don't care about this diplomat from China and what he has to say. In the past, that would have been completely disqualifying, right? Literally front page news that he was being kicked out and removed. No, it, it doesn't matter. And, and that's just very... That's very sad. But I think when you look back at things that have happened in terms of social justice in this country, I mean, a lot of things are worse. So I don't think it's going to be a tipping point, right? This is not Selma. This is right, not, right. this is just somebody who's uh, tweets and is disgusting, continues to tweet and is disgusting. And people who don't care continue not to care. And I think some of those people would say, I'm not a racist, but it's not disqualifying. I don't care. I'm not a misogynist, but it's not disqualifying. And that's in some ways even more sad. Can it become Soledad disqualifying for members of the media? Because I think part of why you've, you, your power has grown 
You've got over a million followers on Twitter now. You are one of the most visible media critics in America. Could they stop asking yes, no questions? So, yeah, I want, I want to dig in on that. But oh, as, so as annoying. a very, as a watershed moment, maybe for the media, for, like the, the media yeah, seems Brian to now Seltzer be finally was, yeah, calling this a racist finally, tweet, right? right? And, I think the, ABC, and, they're, and they're crowing about it. Right, ABC, ABC and CNN, GMA, right? CNN. Uh, and, and CNN said the president's racist tweet. So this does this become a test for the media? That train left so long ago. So sure, yeah, kind of. But I mean, the New York Times doesn't. Right. I mean, people still say racially tinged. And the New York Times, I was tweeting a front page today um, that talked about, you know, I think just like inappropriate or whatever, you know, so trope is kind of like a like a a middle ground word. So No, I don't I don't I don't think so. I don't think anybody gives a shit if CNN calls today two and a half years into the president who, by the way, before he took office, I was saying this is this person is embracing white supremacy on your air and you're giving him airtime. And this is basically a recruiting video. I right. said that to that to Brian Seltzer. So, you know, no, no one will care. The people care, care. I think you will have a number of I look at sort of my husband who's not involved in covering race every day and just tries to go to his gig and come home and, and, you know, and he's, he's like, I just can't believe, like, it's just so distasteful. And I think there are a lot of people who are like, this is just distasteful. And for those who are on the edge, oh, the economy's doing well, but that they, they will care. And then for others, they won't care. Is it, I want to kind of stay on this because I think your influence is so important right now. Is it a teachable moment for the next generation? Because you are now, I think for many, a role model especially for up and coming younger journalists, especially for people of I'm color. There, there was a time. But that's why I can do but, it because but, I just, but, I'm self-employed. The, I would literally. Is that a reflection of the media too, though? Now you can be self-employed. Uh, you yeah. can have a million Twitter followers. You can influence the national conversation without being at CNN. Like yeah. You, for people, a long time, I think, you were. Honesty. I think you, people do yeah, really authenticity, want right? authenticity in a sense. And I'm always like, listen, I will just call it bullshit where I see it. And I do, I do it because I feel like somebody needs to stand up for this is crazy. I, the number of times I have to say, could you not ask yes, no questions? I forget the one that was asked today in the gaggle, right? Where, you know, something like, do you, do you regret saying this racist thing? You know, the, if, why would you ask that? Can you, can you explain for people who maybe aren't coming from a journalistic background, right? And just to frame this up too, sure. Soledad, like our audience is pretty diverse. A lot of independents and unaffiliated and people coming from all different political backgrounds. And maybe if they're not, you know, in the gaggle, and watching what journal, why is, why is that so important to not just ask yes or no questions? Because a yes or no question allows you to take that. I love when I get a yes or no question. It allows you to take that question any way you want it to go, right? Because you really can say yes or more likely no and go whichever direction you want. When you, uh, you, when you ask something that's pointed, the person either has to choose to disregard your question altogether, or usually someone like Trump, who has a very healthy sense of ego, will attempt to answer it. So a better question is something like, why would you say something that's so clearly racist? I guarantee you, he would try to answer that versus, do you regret saying something racist? No, I didn't regret, you know. This, and then he bridges into something right, and else the, and, and talks the about answer what he wants is, to talk about. Of course right. he doesn't regret saying something. I mean, it's a, it's a stupid question on the face of it. So I, I, I get in a gaggle, it's kind of a moment and people are rushing and you're hoping to get heard, but I wish people would prepare better because we see that all the time, all the time that they don't put thought into their question and frame it. So the person has to like think, and especially in a gaggle, often if the person's not thinking, they'll, they'll give you an answer. So who's getting it right? Because part of what you are 
is almost like a referee. You're throwing flags on penalties and saying, hey, everybody, watch this in the media. This was right. This was wrong. But who do you look to as a voice that people can actually rely on or depend on for information or perspective or integrity? Maybe this show, I always talk about information, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. I think integrity is really important and it builds on that authenticity. Right. And, but- and integrity, by the way, I think someone can have incredible integrity And you could look at them and say, I would never vote for you. I'm not even sure I like you. And I disagree with these five things you're saying, but you are a person of integrity, right? You're, that's what I always sort of say is like, you're a good human being and you believe some of these things that I completely disagree with. And I think that's what we're missing. The sense of this person has some honor to them. So who do you think those people are in the media, especially? Gosh, uh, you know, I, I think the media one is a, is a, is a Who would you tell one. your kids to read or watch, right? Because I think that's a clarifier I have to watch everything me. because I think they learn a lot from the bad. I really, um, I like Chris Wallace, Hugentic Estrisk on that because um, he's not afraid. And so, uh, well, I'm not a fan of Fox News at all. I think they're disgusting in a lot of ways. I think he's he's never afraid of the person who's he's interviewing, and often others are afraid. They're clearly afraid, right? They say they try to suck up to them. Right. I mean, I thought Chuck Todd interviewing President Trump was just a mess. And then people get on his show and just make stuff up, and he he doesn't challenge them. I mean, he really is bad at the follow up. He's he's an excellent example of being terrible at a follow up. Mm. Really, he's bad. Um, and that's but, very, that's like the American standard, though, right? You contrast it with the British media or somewhere else. I think when Jonathan Swan from Axios had kind of a hard hitting interview what was perceived by American standards as a hard-hitting interview with uh, with Jared Kushner. It kind of popped off the page and he's got this kind it of- It wasn't even a hard-hitting interview. It wasn't by, right? by, by I mean, American- if you, well, you watch, it was in terms of its aggressiveness. It was. Did it feel different to you? in terms of content, yeah. you're like, you're just asking the same question over and over again. That's not even a smart interview. It just, it is. It's so frustrating. It really is- um, But I wouldn't have expected you to say Wallace from Fox News is your well, first answer. Well, he's just not afraid. Yeah. I mean, I, I really compliment him a lot because when he goes in on people, he does a very specific- thing that I used to do a lot that I like, which is you ask a question, you frame it with a piece of content. Let me roll this for you, sir. Blah, blah, blah. The person gives you some bullshit answer. You say, well, let me show you the clip. You run the clip, right? And then you follow up and it gives you a very structured. So people at home watching understand the answer, even if the person's going to lie to you in the interview. Mm -hmm. And he does that very real. Ask a question, roll the tape, go back, follow up, ask a question. It's just very good structure. I like that structure. I think, um, and he also is very knowledgeable. So he, it's hard for people to bullshit him. He just knows what he's talking about. And I think a lot of other people get run over because they're anxious and they're afraid of the person they're mm. interviewing and and they don't want to challenge people. And that's really unfortunate. I, I've been disappointed mightily in the New York Times, which just cannot figure out um, how to say things that are really Clear. President Trump could wear a T-shirt that says I'm a racist and they would be like, well, I mean, it's kind of racially tinged, that T-shirt. I wouldn't go as far to say racist. They just can't help themselves. They 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 trip over themselves all the time. They really need a public editor. It's an embarrassment. Um, but I, I, I do believe in reading everything because I think you steal pieces from from everybody. What do you think of the role of the comedians who seem to have yeah. kind of stepped into that breach, right? It was John Stewart for yeah, a long time. Yeah. Now it seems Don't to be Colbert or, yeah. you know, is it Jimmy Fallon? Well, by the, I mean, is, we're, is we're that where we a, are now? We're in or, such a place where there's so much bullshit that comedians are just so good at pointing out the obvious, right? Part of covering Trump today. And it's kind of weird, right? At the white house press gaggle, the whole thing is just bullshit. You really want someone to just be like, this is just such a, we're all pretending to take you seriously. Some of your sentences make no sense at all. Like they're barely English and 
and you're just like, blah, this is word salad. Um, and everyone, but everyone sort of takes it all seriously. And then they have conversations. Does the president this or that? And other people are like, I think he's just stupid. We, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. So, so I, I, I think it's a good space for comedians because they can just call out like, this is crazy. This is stupid. This is racist in a way that reporters really hesitate to say stuff. I feel like I'm on the sidelines saying it's just racist Just say it's racist, but you know, that's that's where we are right now. So you started by These saying... These chairs are weird. Aren't they weird? Yeah, I probably, they're, they're kind of space chairs. I, yeah. And we're again at the Classic Car Club. Like, so to our like, listeners, so you can totally... But then I can't actually see you. So Here all that, for, for those who are listening, there's also <gasps> video at angryamericans.us. But all that is now kind of in a fetal position like with a fireball, where a lot of Americans feel they should be right now, in the fetal position right. drinking. But you when, you, when you look at this situation, you started this discussion by saying you're not concerned about the future of our republic. Oh, I'm not. And oh, so why listen, not? Because I think we've been in, in, in worse places. And I think people are very, listen, I think there's a huge number of people who are very concerned and understand what's going on. I think, I think there's a lot of uh, people in the law trying to also figure it out. I'd be much more concerned if people didn't care. And we've had times when people didn't care. So I'm not, I think this is a, a, a huge moment, but but I don't think it's the end of the Republic. I think you just have a lot of really corrupt people in and people are seeing it. And by the way, even people who are not particularly political. I think they find it distasteful. Who wants to walk around being angry all the time? And people don't feel good. I don't think your average person feels like the economy is serving them even as the economy is doing better. I don't think the average person feels like it's a good time with their neighbors and they feel happy and secure and safe and the communities are strong. I think many Americans, and if you look at the polls around immigration, in the high mid to 70s, people sort of feel like, yeah, immigration, net positive, it should say about the same, maybe a little bit more. You know, people aren't railing against immigration in uh, when you poll large numbers of Americans. So I think, I think people find it all very distasteful. So given that backdrop, do any of the candidates jump out for you? You probably can't do an endorsement or, or a prediction. God, Maybe I you can. If I'm going to do an endorsement, shouldn't someone give me a lot of money? What would I my endorsement know. be worth? I mean, like, I'm may- on Twitter so much, it'd be mm-hmm. worth literally $8. R- well, right. I, I, a glass of fireball. But, you, but, but your influence is really powerful right now. Really? It doesn't I, feel I, that I do. Way. I feel like I just tweet into the void. And I don't think so. My children are I mean, like, you, oh my let, God, let's mom, break this down. you tweet I mean, too you much. Have, we have to stop following you. You have over a million Twitter followers. So you probably have- And they're real too. You have more people people absorbing your content than MSNBC had a couple years ago yeah, for most CNN shows. CNN has in prime the time. CNN has in prime time right now, right? So that's the new dynamic. Yeah. You have a larger audience than CNN in prime time. Yes. That changes everything. Half of them hate me. So Maybe, but half of the people who watch Bill O'Reilly probably hated him yeah, too, that's right? that's true. That's so, true. Are you so, comparing me to Bill O'Reilly? So, Thank you. No, no, huh. no, no. I just, huh. I'm, com- I'm comparing the format. Did you take that out of my back, please? No, no, not at all. <laughs> the personality-driven <laughs> format, which you are now yeah, you know, a part of, right? Because people trust you. They trust your voice a million or so people and then more either trust you to a point where they want to pay attention, right? So that empowers you to be a very, very influential voice, right? And that's why part of why I wanted to talk to you because I feel like you are a voice for many people who don't have a voice. Well, what I've tried so, to do on Twitter truly is yeah. to not worry about the audience and I just tweet what I want. I literally don't try to, you know, hit an audience. If someone tweets something that I find interesting, I'll, I'll retweet it or elevate it or have conversation about it. But I, you know, I'm like, I'm just going to do me. And if a million people join fine. And if everybody tomorrow is like, Ugh, I'm sick of her and they all leave also fine. Like I'm just doing it for me. What's interesting, I think though, is when you're very straightforward and, um, 
and and clear about how you feel about something, I think people appreciate that. Even the people who don't necessarily like you, um, I think want to follow you for your perspective. So do you, do you think any of the candidates are emerging? I mean, you, you, if you yeah. want to project you know, a year out, who do you see handling this complicated media landscape? Like part of why Biden, I think, has been struggling is because he's he's stumbled. Right? Yeah. He didn't do any interviews. He did poorly in the debates. He's not vocal on Twitter. It seems like in many ways, and, and I've been very, very um, focused on the what he represents in terms of a formidable opposition to right. Trump. But but on the media landscape, he seems to be struggling, right? While yeah. AOC is is like the ninja master of all things social media. And remember, media right that now. brings a certain age demographic with right. right so it doesn't necessarily bring the demographic that votes right so if you were trying to my parents passed away earlier this year but if you were trying to reach them and they yeah. they voted year after year they'd be like what's an AOC we right. have no idea right. you know because they just wouldn't so have who's understood doing it that. well who's an who's so a multi-sport I think for athlete someone maybe, who's right? interesting to me is Elizabeth Warren uh, not necessarily in her policies um but I find the way she uses social media right she every day posts about herself she tells her own story she talks about her dog yeah. she right so she has decided she's not going to wait for the New York Times to come to her door that she is just every day going to put out a story about herself and they do a very nice job on that and it's unusual because of her age I think it's hard for someone right. like a Biden to embrace, to really be a native in social media, unlike AOC, right? Who's, who's a native. She gets it. She's used it. She, this is how she communicates. If she were not a congressperson, this is how she would communicate right. with her friends. Right. She's just doing what she does at the office, but this is how she does it. I think it's hard when you've been doing politics a different way to be 70 something years old and all of a sudden really figuring out how to use Twitter and social media successful. I think that's hard. I think Hillary Clinton actually struggled with that, right? Where they're Absolutely. like, and now I am presenting my next thing that I want to say to you people. That's hard. Um, it's just a different tone. It reeks of, it reeks of bullshit. It does. Right? Yeah. And it's, and even if you're a very compassionate, honest person, it's just hard if you're not a native. Yeah. Um, for example, every morning, my daughter Snapchats her friends and they all do a Snapchat. That's just the top of their head. Have you guys seen this? No. Right. I'm like, well, uh -huh. why the hell would you send a picture? But it, it's the thing. Just it's like this. from the nose up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's it. Got it. And I'm like, why? She's like, it's just a thing. That's how we, you wake up and you send everybody like, this is me today. And it's not, I'm fabulous. Look at my great angle. Yeah. It's just. Is it like the video of I've people? I've had to actually make sure I'm not in the shot because I look so insane. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, you can't put this out. I look terrible. Have you but seen the video of people eating things? Yeah. Is, is, are your kids into that? No. 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 Thankfully. They do like the unboxing. That's the unboxing. Just, yes. Yeah. My kid will watch. A video Weird. of toys being taken out of the package like it's, you know, it's mesmerizing. But it's a whole other world. It's like hypnotism. And it's, it's a unbelievable. whole other, like, yeah. and who would have thought that someone doing that could make the The candidate that does unboxing toys right. and eating sounds is right. going to generate tremendous Well, I following. will say this. So I think uh, Kamala is interesting as well. I think she's yeah. got a lot. She's another one. She's a little bit behind Elizabeth Warren in terms of social media. She's much more like, I have a thing to pitch. Here it is. I have a thing to pitch. Here it is. Right. Social media is much more like, hey, you know, I'm trying to decide. Do I want to have waffles or do you think I should go for the eggs benedict I mean, literally just blah 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 um I think she does a pretty good job I'm surprised that both of them what we did well in social media which I actually got from a young rapper named Becky G was anybody who follows you you should follow them right so I'm surprised that they neither one of them follows a lot of people it's like a respect thing. It's like you're shaking my hand. And I'm going to shake yours. And also how cool to be followed by Kamala Harris. Right. So if you're going to go into Iowa next, 
follow a shit ton of people right. who, by right. the way, will follow you who live in Iowa, who are going to be taking part in all of these conversations. Follow, follow, follow strategically. So I'm always surprised, like, why are you following so few people if you really want to represent a lot of people? And part of it is a... Uh, there's a little bit of an arrogance. Like I follow 12 people, but 25 million follow me. I follow anybody, anybody, you know, if they get annoying, I unfollow them. Um, but I really am surprised that the candidates don't do that. I like Joe Biden. I, um, I think he's having a hard time transitioning to a conversation that is nonstop. That is not about, I sit down with my favorite journalist and I frame it for them. Um, it's just a different time. I think Nancy Pelosi talking to Maureen Dowd was like, Maureen Dowd is so wrong about so much shit. Like, honestly, think of all the money you could make just betting against the prediction Maureen Dowd makes. Like, <laughs> we'd be freaking rich. It's a um, step away from sitting down with page six <laughs> at this point, right? But it's like, why? It's like sitting down with Cindy Adams and saying, like, let me tell you what's going on. So sitting down with yeah. Maureen Dowd, uh, but that's a very old school thing to do, right? right. I sat right. down and had my conversation. She'd be better off just tweeting. Let me tell you why the squad's driving me crazy. Right. Blah, blah, blah. blah. Right. At least people would right. respect that versus this unnamed sources tell us this and this and this. Um, but I, I like Joe Biden because I think he's a, a solid politician. I mean, I think he's a guy who's got a lot of integrity. I, I've always liked kind of what he stands for, even when I've been against right. some of the things that I think uh, the decisions that he's made. I was a little disappointing. I, I disappointed, especially in the busing conversation. Yeah. Every so often, I wish someone would just say, that's how I felt back then. Yeah, I, I felt that. And maybe I was wrong. Can we break down that moment? Because I, sure. I really think that that moment has so far been the closest thing to kind of a game breaker. Yeah. Like you're yours. We have to get into sports because your sports background, right. I think, shapes your understanding. But show, that was right? like a breakout moment. Yeah. Right. That's when you saw the rookie running back pop off a 60 yard run. And you said, wow, Saquon Barkley can run. Right. right? right. Like that was a moment where everybody said, oh, shit, this is serious. Right. So what did you see with that interaction? Second night of debate, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. And, what, and, just, and, and even before and afterward, right? Well, because you know, it was, she kind of telegraphed him, it, right? She called him on busing yeah. and he yeah. didn't really have an answer, right? right? And, and it didn't really have an answer, which was a metaphor for, I don't really have an answer for all the past legislation. I've been doing this for a really long time. I just wish elected officials would just stand up. I, I really would not have had a problem if he said, listen, at the time in the 1970s, I did not think that integrating schools through busing was the way to do it. I believed in integration. I supported integration. I thought busing was wrong. And my constituents were telling me it's wrong. Now, granted, my constituents were middle-class white people. Right. And, and the polls show that middle-class white people did not like busing, didn't have a lot of black people in my community. And maybe that's why I look back now and think probably could have done that differently. But at the time, and part of what I value in politicians is that they can learn from their mistakes. Yeah. I don't want the guy who's like, I'm always right. I never change my mind. Ugh. Do you think so I, I, I wish he had just been more human than all of a sudden trying to defend something versus that was in the 1970s. And right. there's a bunch of people who thought that busing was the way to go. And there are a bunch of people who did not believe that. Just like the crime bill. I mean, I know we talk a lot about the crime bill, but there were a lot of people in the inner city who thought the crime bill was a good idea. I personally think the crime bill was a disaster, but there were pastors and African-Americans right. who thought we need a crime bill, that this was a good thing. And so you could just say, I think looking back now, it did not do what it was supposed to do. But at the time, we people of good intention did X, Y and Z thinking such and such. It felt, it felt like a boxing moment. Right. And you you've 
you've been on Real Sports for yeah, a long time, I right? Know, I love and that HBO show. Has, was a, was a pinnacle of boxing Ooh. for so long. It felt like that moment where Drago's cut. Right. Yeah. Drago's cut and he's cut. He's cut. What's going to happen? And you feel him struggling in the corner yeah. and the barrage is hitting Biden. He doesn't know how to get out of the corner. And Harris keeps coming at him like a trained and skilled and experienced prosecutor just starts to kind of pull him apart. But I had a theory that I don't know if it will be true, but I, I think over time is a bit provocative on some levels. I think that moment may have helped Biden with the base that he is trying to secure and solidify that is similar to a Trump base in that him under attack Right. Which for many people is how it looked. Right. right. It looked like a white guy under attack from a young black prosecutor. Right. I saw a moment where Biden's base in some ways is like Trump's base and that they've already got their mind made up. Mm. They love Joe. They love Uncle Joe. You, no matter what Uncle Joe does, they're still with him because he's their guy. And did you see a potential because of the racial dynamics for that to actually help him with independent voters and maybe Republican voters if we're talking about the general? Yeah, I think there's a whole I'm not sure Republican voters, maybe, but I, I think for for independent voters or even people who really are concerned about uh, the direction of the country going far to the left. I think calling it socialism is sort of silly, but being, you know, far more to the left, even this idea, like, should there be billionaires? You know, yes, right. I, I, I have zero problem. With, I hope to be one, maybe one day, that would be great. But I mean, my, my bigger issue is not, should there be billionaires? It's how do we make education fair for everybody else? Uh, and maybe some of that is taxing billionaires in some capacity. But I think people who are very concerned, like, oh, is the Democratic Party shifting to the left? I think Joe is this sense of like, ah, he knows he's been around. He knows the game. He knows how it works. I, I don't know. And listen, I think it's early. And I think most people have not been even paying attention and have no idea who they're going to vote for. And we'll see how it all how it all lays out. So I have to ask you a question I ask of all guests. You know, this is angry Americans. And it's also about the righteous anger, the idea that there's good reason to be angry and we can channel that anger into positive outcomes. Right. The same kind of anger that created the revolution or fueled the civil rights movement. Right. There's a lot of I think and many folks, I think, agree reason to be angry. But what's something, Soledad O'Brien, that makes you angry? You know, I, I hate being angry. Isn't that interesting? I am. Um... I'm not a, like, I don't love the emotion of being angry. Some people do. They like fighting. They're not me. I don't. Um, one thing that I find annoying, maybe is as far as I go, or really frustrating is I just wish people would understand how people like to talk about racism on a one-on-one -on -one thing. You know, he's a racist. She's not a racist. But they don't want to understand how institutions work. And they don't want to understand how history plays a role. And I think those things are very frustrating to me. So, yeah, sometimes I get I get really angry when someone will say, you know, I just understand why black people don't blah, 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 blah. And you're like, well, if you had any understanding of um, history, you'd understand ways in which people have been cut out of things. And so your question is, or your comment is just stupid. Um, so I find that really frustrating because they don't want to know, right? If women wanted to do this, why don't they just blah, blah, blah? You know, I mean, I, listen, I think those girls playing soccer, if they really just not enough people care about them, that's why they don't get paid enough. When you realize that's just bullshit. People don't look at those things as, as institutional and historical uh, wrongdoing, right? They don't connect the dots. They just think like for this particular team at this particular time, women are less interesting. And so they're going to get less money. It's like, no, it's, it's actually linked through history. It's much more 
complicated. And and that really does piss me off because it feels like you have to launch into a history lesson. Where I grew up in Long Island, um, you know, Levittown was not very far away. And Levittown was a community where white people started buying in these developments, tracks, you know, those homes uh, improved in value very much. Black people were not allowed to live there. My people would not sell my parents a home because my mom's black was black. My dad was white, you know, so they could not move into the community where they wanted to live because of race. You know, and so this idea of like, well, you know, now 50 years later, when you see what what properties have increased in value and what have not, because banks would not loan people money. You could not improve your home because you couldn't get equity out of your property. You had to live in a certain area. That area sometimes wasn't near off ramps on the highway. Look at the history of Atlanta. Uh, You know, so all those things kind of conspire to put people in a bad spot. And so when people don't have a very nuanced understanding, that really does piss me off. Uh, I think that's right, <laughs> right on. Sad, I mean, right? It, it, no, but it is. I mean, Levittown is is, is an interesting like fault line, yeah. right? Because it's you know less than an, an hour from the city, right from New York City, right? And people kind of think that racial divisions only happen in the South and don't Ugh. look into the institutionalized racism at places like Long Island and Boston and New England. Let me right? tell you about <laughs> Strong Island, yeah. and I really <laughs> liked where I grew up. But you know, yeah, absolutely, it's a very very racist, very racially uh, divisive at times. In fact, when I was writing my memoir in 2010, there was a lawsuit because Long Island wouldn't allow people to get Section 8 housing. They would mark for brown and black people on their applications so that they wouldn't get approved for Section 8 housing, right? And, and New Orleans, for example, has a, in um, St. Bernard Parish, you couldn't get Section 8 housing if you didn't already live in Section 8, right? So only certain people who are in the community- Grandfathered in. Absolutely. I mean, these things are just overtly trying to keep certain people out. And they, in some cases, they weren't even, you know, sneaky about it. So when everybody acts as if somehow, and journalists, maybe when I say everybody, as if Donald Trump, oh my God, we just discovered the other day that he's a racist. It's like, (laughs) oh, for fuck's sake, where have you been? This guy has been consistent about this for a long time. And when CNN does a really- sappy piece about Melania Trump when just like, she's a birther. And listen, I'm a big believer in respecting the first lady, but also you should know she is a birther. Just listen to her quotes on television. Right. I'm not attributing it to her as a, as a guess. Um, and then, then TV news won't ask that question. That's just sad, right? Because they, you know, it's a puff piece. So I want to come back to the media okay. and, and where we are, because you have been you know, a, a, an innovator, a trailblazer, a referee, a watchdog, many yeah. different things for the media, but staying back in, in Levittown, yes. Soledad O'Brien growing up in Levittown. I didn't, I grew up in Smithtown. Smithtown. Thank you. What was your but first, basically like Levittown. Soledad O'Brien, what was your first car? My first car was not growing up in Smithtown because my parents wouldn't buy me a car because they didn't have money for that. And I was one of six kids, so they certainly weren't going to buy me a car. My first car was only a few years ago was the first car I bought and it was a Prius. Wow. And I did not like it. So I switched to a Range Rover a couple of years ago. That's a good upgrade. Yeah, that's a nice upgrade. Uh, I couldn't get up the hills in the snow in my Prius. So I had to swap out to something that could do hills. Um, but I was probably 45 years old when I got my first car. <laughs> That's an amazing. What color was the Prius? Uh, it was gray and it wouldn't start a lot. And I knew the people and I wanted to get attention from a Toyota. I have to go on Twitter and be like, my car is now broken down again at the Sutton Sarge parking lot. That's a surprising answer. Yeah. That's a surprising answer. I was answer. trying to be, uh, listen, I really liked the electric car. That, that one was not ready for prime time. 
to. And it didn't hold anything. Polar opposites from a Prius to a Range Rover. Well, yeah, I think the Range Rover doesn't have terrible gas mileage, but it holds more stuff and it can get up a hill. And it holds kids. And it holds kids and it can get up a hill in snow. So it's a good car. I love it. Excellent. So going back to the media, when you were on CNN, um, you were, you've been called a, a trailblazer, an innovator. I mean, frame it up for people who maybe don't understand the historical perspective. And it wasn't that long ago. But how many other women of color were on television? Gosh, you know, a fair number. And I actually had had been on. The funny thing is we all looked the same. I mean, one day I was like, you know, Suzanne Malvo, Frederico Whitfield, uh, like we all could be sisters. Right. And and uh, I was in a documentary called I think called light girls about sort of colorism um, around black, dark skin, black women and light skin, black women. And I'm like, there's a reason why all the women look like they could be my sister because there is colorism in our industry and people have a preference. I mean, people who hire, uh, I think that's changed, but just a little bit. And I think people have been very vocal about it. So that's helping it change. Um, yeah. You know, there was a handful, there was always kind of a handful, uh, a great story. When I worked at CNN, I was doing a documentary called Latino in America and our very first first meeting, we were all around a table, probably 20 some odd people. And um, we were trying to discuss the number of Latinos who consider themselves American. And we were in a debate about whether or not to count Puerto Ricans. And I was like, oh, it was me and a producer named Rose Arce, who's a Peruvian. And then that was it. Everybody else was white. And, and the conversation became, I was like, we could just Google this. Like it went on for an right. hour about, I'm like, Puerto Rican, they, they count. Because it would make the difference if we said 48 million or 51 million, right. it's roughly 3 million people. And we literally had this debate. And I actually was like, this is the team we're doing Latino in America with when they really don't have a clue about something that's Googleable, right? That that was right. very problematic. So um, we killed that but, and we started again anew with a different team of people. But But that was kind of a classic situation where people who really aren't experts feel like they can jump in and don't necessarily want to learn from what they're seeing around them. They want to say like, well, this has always been my perspective. I have a colleague. uh, We overlap just a little bit at CNN. Uh, She's from Texas, but right on the Mexican border. And people all the time would talk about her journey to America. And she's like, I'm from (laughs) Texas. Texas. I mean, obviously he speaks Spanish fluently, <laughs> but you know, it's like, but the challenges at you at directed at you came from all sides. Jesse Jackson challenged you, right? I mean, you've written Jesse and spoken Jackson about this. Can you tell time. that story? Yeah, and explain? You know, we were at lunch Maybe. one day and he pinched the back of my hand like, like this. And he's yeah. like, you don't count. Cause we were talking about race and you know, and later we, we talked about it and he said, he just didn't think of Caribbean black people as African-Americans. And I think there is a mindset of people who believe that way, that right. they think Caribbean. I mean, you know, again, I think that's sort of um, naive and and uh, not really even accurate. But, yeah, you know, it just you you end up talking about race so much. I really loved reporting on race and covering race, but you just it just becomes your life all the time. I mean, it's really frustrating. It's such a it's such an annoyance and it's really annoying in um, in reporting where you have to frame things like, again, CNN today acting as if they discovered the cure for cancer. Like we've decided President Trump is a racist. And you're like, oh, my God, everybody else got there first. Like literally a lot right. of people have been saying this for a very long time. When when I started the concept of this show and I described it as angry Americans, it's been interesting to be kind of a Rorschach test for how people respond. Oh, that's interesting. And I've found that um, over time, women have had much more comfort with it 
and have had much more comfort with, with huh. expressing their anger and the reasons they feel angry. Huh. And, you know, broadly, people of color feel then that I've spoken to have reacted to it more positively. Right. It's generally liberal white men who are most conflicted about the title. Huh. They're not sure about it. They don't know what it means. They're not comfortable with their own racism. But everybody else in America seems pretty okay with the fact that my, they're pissed off and have good reason to be. My husband was saying yesterday, he's like, I just felt, he's like, I just can't believe the president would say that. I just felt we were farther along. I'm like, oh my God, have you been watching none of my documentaries? None over the years, <laughs> none, zero. And he's like, I watched them all. But I but I think you're what you've tapped into, right, is this sense of wanting America to be a thing. Right. Right, like I think, I think, I think he's a white, liberalish dude of like, I want America to be that place where I look out, I see a sea of this. And that must mean that it's all good and that it's okay. Right. It, if, if we've got 50% women around the table, that must mean that it's not misogyny. It must mean that it's coming together where I think people of color and women are just like, no, this, this sucks. This is unfair. We're, we're pissed off about it and we want to talk about it. So I, I, anecdotally agree with your, what you're saying. When you, when you think about Trump and this moment in time and how it impacts all things race, because I don't think you can talk about Trump without talking about race for a variety of different reasons we've covered already. What do you, how, how do you think about this moment and explain this moment or shape this moment for your children? Right. As your children. Oh, I, growing I don't up. actually I try not to. I think it's not a good thing for them to be involved in these discussions because I do think it's disheartening and it's yeah. sad. And I don't want so to how do you, that way. But how do you as a parent, right, if someone's listening yeah, and they're raising me. a child of, of color in this environment with a racist president. Yeah. Would you, would you any advice or counsel or what? You know, I, I, I'm a big believer. I think my parents did a really good job of sometimes just ignoring stuff and not even talking about it. I think for sometimes for kids is really helpful. Yeah. I think if you have a lot of angst about it, I think it's actually upsetting, right? I think it's, I think it's upsetting. So I'd be like, listen, so he's an idiot. Anyway, you need to focus. You want to go to medical school. You should be doing <laughs> right, this. Right. You want to make, be a starter on the soccer team. You should be working out every day. Here are the things that you can do to make yourself better. You know, you need to do this and this and this. And don't worry so much about something that you can't. I mean, I think especially for children, they really can't affect change that way. Yeah. Um, certainly go and march and be part of things you want to be part of. But I don't want I would hate for kids to feel like they're internalizing a lot of hatred because I don't think it's productive. Right. I don't I don't know that you can feel a lot of hatred and a lot of anger and a lot of disappointment as a kid. And you can magically turn that into something. I just don't, I think, I don't, I think you get depressed. I think it's, it's too overwhelming because you don't have a sense of agency as a child to feel like you even have the ability to do something with that. Who wants to believe that the president of the United States just hates you and everybody who looks like you, that's too much. So I'd be like, fuck him. You know, listen, you want to make the soccer team focus on that. That's helpful, though. Yeah, There's insight totally. there and wisdom in your experience, especially given the, the world you've operated in over the last couple of decades, which includes sports. And I think part of why you have such a broad and deep following is because of your voice in the world of sports. I you, love that show, by the way. Real Sports is the best show. I, I love I think Real it's Sports. The best show I grew on TV. up. I, I think so, too. And I always say I, I anchor think it a is, different show. It is, <laughs> I really do believe that. I mean, I, it's, I, it's part of why I was so excited to speak to you because I think Real it's Sports is exceptional. It's a great it's show. It's fantastic quality. 
great show. But you mentioned soccer. Yeah. And the women. Because I have two soccer players. We've oh, covered the, the women's, the women's World Cup on this show. We've yeah. covered Megan Rapino on this show in particular and how important her voice has been. Right. And I think this moment has been. I think this has been an incredibly historic moment in the history of sports. I think Megan Rapino is one of the biggest big time players we've ever seen. Right. Independent men or women. Her ability to deliver on right. the biggest right. stage imaginable in multiple World Cups right. is, I think, at the yeah. upper echelons of I athletic love that excellence. I Sports Illustrated cover, see where she's holding the hands of that little girl? I yeah. did a photo of it on my so phone. So break it down. I After know, all that you've seen, how big girl. is this moment? What does this moment mean? This moment with the World Cup and the women winning, our women winning, and Megan Rapinoe, and all of it. Like, what? Can you break it down from yeah, your I perspective? Think I think what you're going to see as a whole in sports is that athletes feel empowered to speak about issues that are part of their experience, but outside of the gig that they have, right? I mean, what I think Megan Rapinoe has done very well uh, is to talk about things that are important to her that are not about soccer, right? And and has an incredible credibility in that. And that follows Colin Kaepernick and LeBron James, right? And they're just sort of like, I know people are saying, shut up and dribble. However, here's what we feel about this topic. And so I think she's just an added voice to giving credibility because she can back it up with the sports, right? She can get out there and say, yes, so I just went ahead and won the World Cup. Now I can come back and finish my sentence about that other thing that I was talking about, whether it's equal pay or um, just being disgusted with the president's racism or the president and you know his position on uh, gay and lesbian issues. So yeah, I think she just can back it up, right? And it's often people can't. They're big talkers, but they can't back it up. But I think tons of athletes have a lot to add and to say, and and often they're just shushed because either they want to be. They feel like they don't want right. to lose that good cushy gig or people around them tell them not. To, I mean, Serena Williams the other day, right? She said, you know, the day that I stop fighting for, for equality for people who look like me and you was the day I'm, gonna, I'll, I'm dead. I'm dying. I'm in my grave, basically. That's a bad, yeah. that's a bad um, version of what she said. Hers yeah. was much more eloquent and smart. But, you know, like I because the question was, you know, wouldn't you be doing better in tennis if you would just focus on the tennis and don't do the celebrity shit and stop doing the, the social justice shit, right? And she's kind of like, this is, this who, is I who I am. right? And I love that. And, and I mean, that's, I think that is history making. I think there's a lot of people who wouldn't do that. Is, is when we look back at the last kind of generation, it feels to me like this, this is not a new thing. This there was a blip. There was kind of a, 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 a blank spot of maybe 40 years, kind of from like the eighties till maybe five years ago where athletes did shut up and they, they were worried about sponsors, the rise of sponsorship and the right. rise of money in sports kind of coincided with the, with the, with the squashing so of voices has changed yeah, right? because there was a time when Muhammad Ali was, was very vocal politically. Ted Williams would be a fighter pilot in world war two. And the lack of athletes serving in the military also had something to do mm, with it, that right. they didn't feel, I think maybe as connected or empowered as, as, the rest of the citizenry, right. but do you, do you, do you, when you go way, Some way back, business, when you go way, way right? back, is Today, it a blip or, or is it a return to what used to be sports in America where no, athletes were involved no, or is this something new? I don't new? think it's a return. I think what's new about it is that brands themselves actually understand that their consumer wants to believe in the better self of the brand, right. right? People are not just, you just need a t-shirt. You don't have to go buy Nike. You could go buy a million of this million. You could buy them on the street. Um, but they want to believe that this brand stands for something and not just good quality. I can wash it 10 times. It'll, you know, it, 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 they want to believe that it stands for a thing. And, and by the way, 
um, not only not only Nike, but every single brand. If you look at the the what was it? Is it Wayfair? What was the, the company that was being boycotted? Was it Wayfair that mm. was building beds for the um, for the um, the refugee centers? I don't know. And people, their yeah. own employees. I think there was an employee strike. Will you double check if I'm? Mm. Uh, I think that's right. Um, I would hate to be sued by Wayfair. Uh, and it's they, okay. Fireball will back you exactly, up. Exactly. <laughs> but the employees were yeah. like, you need yeah. to stop yeah. serving. No, I, it's not Ikea. It was some other thing. It is. Wayfair? Okay. Okay. So will it's Will you Wayfair. Google it for me? See if you can find it. But but it, it was one of those brands. And basically, their own employees want to feel like they work at a place that right. has that believes something. Right. In fact, companies, there's a trust meter that Edelman puts out every year, people trust their company to do the right thing more than they trust the government mm. and more than they trust not NGOs, mm. right? So, so companies understand that and they recognize both in a competitive business environment, right? Where it's easy to lose people, hard to hire. They need, they need their employees to feel like they're belonging to a bigger thing. It's not just, hey, here I am making widgets. It's I make widgets because these widgets change people's lives and I'm part of a bigger movement to change someone's life. I think that's a really, you know, so, and then also their consumers can buy a desk, a bed anywhere. Why are you buying it from here? Well, this, these are people who believe a thing and I'm aligned to that belief. So, Was I wrong? Wait, Yes, Wayfair. It was Wayfair. Okay, we're confirming that off, <laughs> off, right. off camera. I thought so. I, you know, I do have a terrible memory, though. No, so you got often. it. You yeah, got that it. One I got. So I want to. I want to ask you just very specifically. Sure. Kaepernick. Yeah. What do you think of Kaepernick? And and I mean, I, I want to just also frame it up with with for folks who may not know. A week or two ago, uh, there was a Nike shoe that came out that had the original thirteen colony flag on it. Kaepernick. Uh, expressed objections. And, and in contrast to some of the presidential candidates, I think Kaepernick's been very smart and crafty in the way he has handled he his exposure, maybe, right? But but he hasn't been out there doing almost any interviews. Right. You haven't interviewed him, I don't think, nope. right? Nobody's interviewed him. He's not on Twitter. Yep. He's very careful or strategic in how he in influences the discussion. But when you break down, what does Kaepernick mean right now? Maybe independent of himself, because now he's become a representation of much more right, than he right. even himself has expressed. You know, I always think of him as a kind of a jumping off point, right? Like Megan Arapino was looking to him and I think taking a lot of inspiration from him. And she's sort of like, well, I could do that. I mean, I think he gives a lot of, um, credibility and inspiration and bravery to people who feel like, wow, shit, this guy has risked it all to stand up for a thing. I'm not even risking that much and I can stand up and do something. Um, yeah, I thought that was a lot of, you know, uh, tempest in a teapot about the, 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 flag, you know, I mean, that particular one, which I didn't even realize is used by a lot of um, white nationalists yeah. as a kind of a symbol. So he was sort of like saying like, hey, may not want to put Peppy the frog on, on something. Yeah. Might but maybe, it, but I, maybe it's an overreach too, right? Because like yeah, a white nationalist be. wears something. I mean, we're going to run out of things to ban if we ban everything that white nationalists have co-opted at some point, right? If they're wearing yeah, the Nike have, swoosh, but I don't you could think, ban that as well. Yeah. But I, I mean, again, I don't think, I think if there was a Peppy the frog, like right. let's say you were working, you were walking through the Nike um, you know, manufacturing plant one day right. and you saw, you'd be like, Ooh, you guys might just, just so you know, you should know that people, you know, white nationalists have co-opted that. Yeah. You might say, I, I honestly didn't know that. Did you know that I before that? I did not know that. No, I, I think but most, apparently it's a thing. Yeah. And I think most of the country didn't know that. Right. So I guess you said you wish Kaepernick voted. Yeah. He doesn't vote. He didn't vote. 
And I just think it's a bad message. I think for a person who's a role model and his mom's on Twitter and I love her on Twitter and we're like <laughs> Twitter buddies, but I do wish that part of his mess, you know, I'm not, I, I never believe that the fuck them don't vote is the way mm. I look at the outsized advantage that evangelicals who seem very non Jesus like at this moment in time, just saying, um, have it's because they're aggressive about voting, right? So really, the right answer is get out there and vote. Get trains of people to vote. Get people to right. vote. 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 That right. that to me is much better than all these people are idiots. Don't vote. That seems like a terrible message. So on that front, I really disagree with him. Yeah, I had no idea about the Betsy Ross flag. I wouldn't have even been able to identify the Betsy Ross flag. I'm embarrassed to say. Uh, like I, you know, if you'd asked me a month ago to draw a picture of it, I would be yeah. like, mm, yeah, maybe thirteen straight. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Um, but who knew? But apparently uh, Nike thought it was enough of a problem for them to um, to withdraw it. And I'm sure, you know, frankly, I bet that they withdraw tons of designs all the time. So football will be here before we know it. Yeah. State of affairs in America, we've covered at great length in media. But what's your assessment of the state of affairs in the NFL? You know, what's so interesting. And I have to say, I don't watch a lot of football because I don't like to watch people crash into each other. My kids love it. And my son, Jackson, was dying to play football and I would not allow it because uh, he's like a string bean. I think he'd just get killed. He's he's tall and skinny. Um, I would like the Giants to be really good because I'm a big believer in rooting for the hometown. No matter what the sport is, uh-huh. I'm always like, wherever we are, we root for the hometown. Got to do it. And um and they've been challenging, but, um, but I, I watch, I watch football only because my boys drag me, force me to take them to a game every time. You know what I'm loving though, is lacrosse. Really? That new PLL yeah. lacrosse league. Yeah. You feel like this is the lacrosse league that's going to break through? I don't know if it's through. the one, but I, right? we, it's like, I, it's like, I ML, it it's like the predecessors to MLS, I right? I love the you always idea of when it was paying break. people well. Yeah. Right. I mean, how do you, but is there a market for it? Right. Part of what they did was for example, that they don't have a home team, right. Right. Every lacrosse team in the PLL is kind of a free agent team in regards to city. They don't have home cities. They just, it's almost like an elite. Because I don't think it can support it at this moment. Um, But that was an innovative approach, right. was to not give them a home team. So people don't have a home team to root for. You can kind of root for anybody. I will tell you when I go, used to watch the Long Island lizards. Yes. You you were a fan of the Long Island. Would they play the NASA? Coliseum? Uh, no, they played they, at um, like Hofstra's, Hofstra, the, the Hofstra's football field. But you know what I love about the Long Island Lizards? They would take a photo with every single kid. They it's, would not go in until every single child. It's like minor league baseball. Amazing, you feel like the players amazing. are accessible. Like they are clearly developing their their team. And now my kids play it like lacrosse is becoming a huge it is. thing. So is it, and it wasn't that way when I, and I grew up in Long Island, which yeah. was lacrosse land, you know, and it's really people are playing lacrosse out in California. But it's also becoming the alternative to football. Yes. The kids exactly. who you who would have played football 20 years ago when I was growing up, you would have played football. Now they go to hockey and, or lacrosse and schools or are soccer football right? programs. Yeah. So I think a long way of saying, like, I actually think PLL has a really good chance because I just think there's a, a time now when people are interested in the sport a lot more because they're playing uh, and um, I think there's more access to it. So so sports and, and family and horses are a big I part do. of I your love, life. I wish I were better. I, I ask every guest what's something that makes them angry, but I also ask every guest, Soledad O'Brien, what's something that makes you happy? Oh, my gosh. I love riding well and I hate not riding well and I am a middle-aged lady so I find you lose control of your ability to move your body the way it wants to go like if you're losing your balance you just can't get it back when you're a 12 year old 
right? You just swing your leg over. You just do a thing. You know, my daughter's right. really good little riders, but I just, it's, it's been a really hard road for me to be very solidly beginner to intermediate mediocre at riding when I really would like to be great. And I watch people and I want to be them. And I just, I can't do it. Can you explain for people who don't know much about horses, what kind of horses do you ride? And what is it about that that gives you so much happiness? Ugh, I've so been around horses and I think they're magical, they're right? They're the best. They're there's the kind best. Of, there's and an they're... emergence of equine therapy yeah. now, especially in the veterans community. And there's um, like a like higher a being sport. kind of yeah, level, but like you do some pretty sport. intense stuff, right? I don't, but I watch people who do. Okay. I do very non-intense stuff and I wish I were doing intense stuff, but my daughters are big riders. Okay. Um, I just like being in a sport where you have another living being that you have to operate with. Right. You're driving a car. Your car is going to do what it does. You have to use your skills. You're sailing a boat. You got to use your skills. But a horse also has its own mind. Right. A horse has its own. It might be having a good day. You have to work together as a team to figure out how to get over something collaboratively. And it's really it's really hard, right? It's not just, do you take the right step? Are you moving the right way? It's are you getting your horse to move the right way? It's really freaking challenging. And then of course it's a, a live human being. So some, I mean, live animals. So you have to, you know, actually like it's gotta be happy and well cared for and not, and be injury free and be in a good mood. And, you know, to watch people go over five foot jump, it's like the most amazing thing. And and if you watch them, you'll see, they can even go really slowly and they pull all the way back because you got to get the horse back on its back legs, which is what's going to get it going over the fence. I just think it's the dynamics of that are so uh, amazing. And the best riders in America are 50 year old women. Mm. I mean, what sport are the very best people in the country? Middle-aged ladies and a guy. That's incredible, right? I mean, yeah, and, and you have no advantage being 19 over being 65. None, zero. Can we, can we get the candidates to all ride horses? <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun to video? Like we're oh, going to make I all the candidates some people. ride I like, the horses. I uh, like Pete Buttigieg. I think he's interesting. Yeah. I wish that he were, um, uh, this apropos of nothing, but I, I wish, I think he's got a little bit of growth in him. He's young. Um, and sometimes I think he, he hesitates to answer things. Um, you know, I've interviewed him a couple of times now, I, but I think he's a good person. I, um, you know who I really like is, um, Bill Weld, Bill Weld. who's running on the yeah, Republican governor side. Of Massachusetts, I used governor. to work, uh, for him. He owned some property out in really? Long Island when I was growing up. And one of my jobs is to measure spruce trees on Bill Weld's property, um, as a scientific experiment, but like a lovely that is fascinating. guy that who, is. who I think people respect tremendously and who, um, I think they think he's, he just is a, a good human being. Um, what's, what's next for you? So that you hosted one forum already for some of the did, candidates. We did. We'll probably do more of that. Um, we have a long way to go. The forum you, you, you hosted had wrote, four of the candidates. Yeah. We hosted one on, um, on crime, the crime bill and, um, and just crime in general for BET. And then we did another one with four of the candidates. It was so funny. Again, another Elizabeth Warren. So she gets out, everyone else comes out and they wait for me to start. I start and she's like, so and then she turns her body fully away from me to talk to the audience yeah, like this. Yes. And I'm like, okay. And then she basically says, I want to thank you guys because it's the anniversary of the shooting that took place, uh, I think three years earlier and does an entire address, right? And then the entire time we're talking, she's only talking to the audience. It's kind of brilliant. 
Which like, you, which I have to know, you have been doing throughout this interview. Is that right? And people go back and watch it. You've actually been speaking to my cameras, Ben and Andrea, who are their camera crew, who are filming this, Playing and if, to if your you, audience. Yeah, yeah. And, but, but I think that's it's a real, like that's a, a that big props for me for that, right? Because she yeah, understands yeah. why she's there. Yeah, she's there to make her case. But it's to also an about understanding and having that kind of situational awareness of where your audience is and how many different places they're in, and, no, and knowing you're on stage. The other right? people were guys. And yeah. if they had done Can, that to me, did, it would look very disrespectful. Did right? any a woman candidates, could do that, but a guy can't. Sorry. Did, did any candidates say no because it was on BET? No, uh-uh. What was it? So you got four no, no, of them. No, and the whole but, thing was it was a black, about um, economic uh, opportunities for black people. So yeah. I don't think. No, I, I, some people said no because they had already planned for something. Um, and so mostly it was just uh, conflicts. But no one so, said no. Because no. I was a part of the team that hosted and created the Commander-in-Chief Forum mm-hmm. back in 2016. We had Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump on the Intrepid for what right. became the precursor to the debate. It was the first time they were in the same place before the first debate. Right. And there were all these stipulations about how they couldn't cross paths <laughs> and who could be on the ship and who couldn't be. Right. Um any insight into behind the scenes as we look toward the next debate for your astute and experienced eye, what people no, can look to no. about the kind of behind the scenes or the strategy, right? Of how these candidates will approach oh, the it's media. it's going to be forever. Do you know how early we are? Literally, we're going to be having this conversation forever for 10 million more months of just over and over in the media. But people want it. Like, right. Yeah, it's entertaining. You know, and the, and the, the ratings were there to have conversations that were um, more substantive. I just don't know that a debate where I don't know that that's a really great format. Yeah, I, um, I would much rather have a, like a, I, I like I like sit down conversations where someone can explain. Right. As opposed to you get big points for the zinger, right. you get big points for the moment. You know, in real life it encourages is, the wrong kind of behavior. Exactly. It encourages so the zingers. Life, Right. Is that really valuable? Yes, sure. You're witty. You can win in repartee, but are you a fucking idiot? I mean, right. right? So, so uh, I think that that's problematic. I much rather have somebody smart walk people through in an interesting way. I mean, it's what I liked about our conversation about economics was just people got to talk and you could push back on them, but it was not about zingers. It was about like, what is your actual strategy around something? Mm. Well, Anything else, folks? Uh, Can I ask you a question? Sure, of course. So if you're in the military, I was wondering this today. Yes. And you- I know I wouldn't get through this without you asking me some questions. I'm excited about it. Our military is so diverse. Yes. So what do members of the military, and and I think President Trump really comes across as as an idiot. I mean, it just doesn't really, and not uneducated, but just someone who just says stupid things, Uh, not a bright person. And he's your commander in chief. I mean, I, I know that when I've had a CEO of a company that I've worked for where I'm like, wow, I just, I'm working for someone who's an idiot who really doesn't understand the issues. And it's terrifying because, you know, your livelihood is tied up in, in sort of the decisions they make or the press conferences. I remember I once had a boss who talked about like women don't want to be executive producers and we're all like, yeah, yes, we do. <laughs> uh, you know, but you, for military people, you're talking about life and death. You're talking about your family's well-being. This is not just, I have a job here at NBC News. Making, you know, you're talking about 20 times that. H- how do people in the military feel when, regardless of where they are politically, uh, the president, I don't think, is does not come across as a thoughtful, measured intelligent person, even if you disagree with yeah, no, his policies. I'm, I'm glad you asked scare this. scare the crap out of people? I'm, I'm glad you asked this because I've, I've thought a lot about this. And 
veterans and military politics are identity politics. And I think that's often lost because the civil military divide is so huge. There was a, a, a Green Beret that was killed over the weekend that hardly registered on anyone's say, radar. Seventh, no idea. seventh deployment. His seventh deployment, his first deployment is in 2002. Okay, so this is a guy who's been seven times, and I've been using the hashtag Forgotistan. But I push back on the question, and I propose this back at you, because how many times have you been asked, what do black people think about X? Oh, I and, can answer that, right, though. But I, but I am reluctant to answer it because I don't think that the military is a monolith any more than black people are or many more, more than women are. And what I've been trying to do or seeking to do, especially in the last couple of years where they become increasingly politicized, is say they are a reflection of who they are. And if you look at the demographics, they're pretty much reflective Everybody. of the same. They, they are overwhelmingly or they're disproportionately white and male. Mm -hmm. And people who are disproportionately white and male and older, if we talk about the veterans community, we're talking about 22 million people, right. which are a lot of older World War II Vietnam vets that are mostly men, mostly white. They will support Trump in the same way old white people will. Oh, right. And so if we talk about enlisted young women who are Hispanic. Right. Or if we go micro target or zero down, you will get a different answer. We saw over the Obama administration that the enlisted people who are generally um, higher percentages of people of color tend to support Obama and Democrats more than Republicans do. So what I generally say is the military is America. Right. It's not as much of America as I wish it was, but it is reflective of America in the same way any other cross-section of America is. Now, there has been in the last 20 or 30 years, the officer corps has tended to go more Republican, mm -hmm. but there's also a higher percentage of libertarians in the military than probably in the general population. Huh. So what I generally say, so that is, I'm not going to generalize. When people say, hey, the military and veterans overwhelmingly voted for Trump. Oh, is that true? Well, veterans did vote for Trump more than Clinton, but veterans are mostly old white guys. Right. So old white guys in America... And if they tend to be from the South or the Midwest, we can you know, cross it by geography as well or by income level. But if you're talking about middle class, lower middle class, lower upper class, white men, if you take that out of their demographic, if you focus on that, that's going to get you your answer. Hmm. Now, they tend to be more aware of foreign policy issues, of defense, of issues like veterans affairs and defense spending. They probably right now know that we have an acting secretary of defense after replacing an acting secretary of defense who replaced Mattis, who resigned. That's been ma right? messy. So we haven't had a real but, Senate but, confirmed. So let me push back on your pushback yeah, of my please, question, please. which would be my dad was in the military, um, not American military, Australian military. Um, but he was so, in which military? Australian. Oh, the Australian shooter in the Australian ah. military. Um, and I always wonder, and a professional rugby player uh, wow. before he became a professor, um, I always, but, but so much of the framing of the military, and I might be wrong about this, is around honor and integrity. And so many of the people that I've interviewed, and I haven't done a million pieces in the military, but a, a lot, maybe more than my fair share, um, regardless again of, of, and I wouldn't even tell, I couldn't even tell you people's politics, but I would say often personal integrity is very important, that's right? true. which is a very different yeah. thing than what you, yeah. than what you believe, who you voted for. You I know, think it's like true. They consider themselves in many ways by default in some, some circumstances, the guardians of the country, right? Now, a friend of mine once said um, that, that veterans are like, are to America what, um, what, what the clergy is to faith. 
right? They consider themselves almost like the samurai because they become this professional class of military where we do have values. We talk about honor and integrity so, and, and again, personal care. An honor things. code is something that Wayfarer may not have. Nike may not have. So there's there's an assumption that you're signing up for something. You're self-selecting. That's bigger than yourself. It's bigger than yourself. Right? And you expect the, your leaders to uphold that same and kind of And leaders level. step down as yeah. someone did the I think what they're day. most, and again, if I were going to generalize, I, I'm reluctant to do that. What they are increasingly concerned about is the civil military divide which mm-hmm. is unprecedented. The, the civil military divide, which is extended to our politicians right. who haven't served, right? And that is unprecedented. They're concerned about a commander-in-chief who hasn't served, replacing another commander-in-chief who hasn't served. And I think that's something they look for. They know that there are four candidates running for president in Sestak, Tulsi Gabbard, um, Buttigieg, and, uh, and Seth Moulton, who are all post-9-11 combat veterans. I think the moment that we looked to was when Tulsi Gabbard had kind of an ownership over the defense discussion in the first debate, mm-hmm. because she was the only person on stage that served. Right. She's the only female combat veteran ever to run for president. So I think they know that. And and similarly, I think if you talk about race, people look for certain kinds of language or kind of hat tips or an understanding or a wokeness, right? Like there's a level of military wokeness that you can have. And either you have it or you don't. Um, How you get there is kind of up to your own journey. But I think that's what veterans and military folks are looking for. I do find them to be increasingly a political jump ball. That's Mm -hmm. why so many of our listeners are vets and our military or military families are first responders. They feel increasingly underrepresented by both parties. So that's part of why this show, I think, has gotten traction with them, because they feel unheard. Um, And it's compounded by their extreme sacrifice. We know friends that are in Afghanistan and Iraq right now. And I think they continue to be maybe most concerned about the fact that that's not even mentioned. Right. It's so, craziness. Right? right. I mean, and by the way, bringing us back to the media, right. Yeah. Like that's something that pisses me off that, that so much time is spent on the drama and the chaos. And we'll do another two days, but probably no more than two days on is the president a racist that there's just a whole bunch of other shit that we're just going to miss. Yeah. Right. Because no one's really reporting. It's just on following. Well, let's, the yeah, chaos. Let's, let's poll the military and see if they think the president's a racist, because that's where the shit you know, hits the fan, right? That's where the rubber meets the road. Like if, do you trust someone to be your commander in chief? If you're a person of color, if you're a person of color or you're, we've talked a lot about uh, in, in the show and, and in my work about the trans ban. If you're someone who, who is concerned about equality is coming from the LGBT community. Do you feel like the commander in chief cares about you, cares about your life, cares about your, your existence. If you ban trans people who are actively serving right now in the military, it's not like we're allowing them in. You're basically kicking them out after the previous administration allowed them in. That is, I think, a, a critical fault line for the military and not just the people who are represented, not just people of color, not just gay people, but the broader kind of aware community who considers them brothers and sisters. Yeah. It's the integrity thing that just bums me out. I mean, truly again, and I I can't be more clear that I can think people have integrity and disagree with a million of their decisions. I feel like there's very, there are very few people who want to stand up and say, and an unpopular thing because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that's yeah. just such a bummer. Well, talking to you has not been a bummer. <laughs> it has been enlightening and, and inspiring. I like the way the staff has the, had, oh, had finished all their drinks. And, I like and it. It is this, toasty as, as is tradition in this show, we have gifts for you. Oh, I love this. And More fireball. There is, uh, there's three different categories of the gifts. And I'm, we're on audio. So first of all, you asked if Yay, you could have a shirt. angry shirt. You Thank do have you. an angry American shirt. Love it. Um, they're American made by the veterans at Oscar Mike. I love it. And then this has been a tradition so far in the show. The peeps. But if you had to choose Soledad O'Brien, mm-hmm. P 
peeps. We started this because it was around Easter. Yes. And I want, I think it's a bit of an insight into who you are, but if you had a choice between pink, blue, and yellow, which color of peeps would you choose and why? It's not a yes or no question. Who knew they were always gluten-free and fat-free and yellow? Yellow is your choice? Because are yellow. Because peeps I think are, it's yeah. weird that people would pick blue ever. Like who would eat a blue chick? That's weird. I, I love that answer. So Sarah Jessica Parker was on a previous episode and called Yellow Peeps the OG of Peeps. Oh, right. Exactly Like the original right. yes. Peeps. She, and she would be right. And she was right. Okay, so no question. And then we have, it's also tradition, we have two bottles for you. <laughs> the first one is small. I recognize this one. <laughs> the, the first one, I'll help you open it if that, if that makes it a little easier. This is for audio. So the little one is just building on your, your favorite here. Oh, this is great. The little one is, is a fire, more, more fireball for the road. I'm going to have right? so much of this in my handbag that if people are going to think well, I'm crazy, I, I, I appreciate the boldness of it. You've been bringing the fire on Twitter. You've been bringing the fire to America. And I speak, I pick a whiskey each. And then you're like, and actually grown up people drink this stuff yes. and not fireball. Well, and then I pick an American, bro. an American made whiskey. I love it. And I go to the liquor store, try to find, find one that speaks to me. And this one is called Redemption. Oh, I love it. And I feel like we are all looking for some redemption. Yes. And we continue thank to look you. for inspiration thank and leadership. You, you. And you have provided that. Thank you. And I especially, love carrying lots of alcohol around with me. Well, Oops. we can help you carry it. But I also want to thank you for the example you've set. Especially for so many people oh, who are looking for soon, voices. Right? And it's not gonna, in my egg chair. It's going to end the interview or the country? Uh, the country's not going to end. I have tremendous faith in our country. Um, we used to hang people. Think of all the people that people used to hang and then they take pictures of it and turn them into postcards. Like, that's pretty disgusting. So I feel like yeah. we've got a long way to get there. Um, but it's got it like the chaos, I hope, ends. And I wish the media would take, do its part in ending the chaos as opposed to using chaos to sell newspapers and shitty cable shows. If you were going to make a final prediction, is Trump get reelected or not? Too early to say. Listen, I think- That's a Trump answer. So yes or no. Yes or no. So <laughs> know, right? will Trump um, get reelected? Uh, uh, truly, I, I agree with you. Too early to say is always a cop out, but we really are early on. And a lot of it's going to be who's running, who's, I don't know, who's he running against. And, um, and what happens in the country? I think it's disturbing the 30% of the people, 40% of the country really supports someone who's overtly a very terrible racist person. But, you know, that is, and probably has always been that way, right? I mean, I think mm -hmm. we've just given license to things that used to be like inside voice, don't say that out loud, have mm. just come out Or maybe the it's public. a cleansing. Maybe it's a giant teachable moment and we need to rip it off and put it out in the open so that we can show people what it looks like and call it what it is. And I've always found that Obama, you know, as an independent, I used to wake up and look at Obama and say, this is a person that my children can look to for inspiration, for an example. And Trump is the anti-example. He's right. the kid in the classroom. You say, don't be like Johnny. I do, but I don't even don't think be about like Trump. Trump. I think about all the elected officials. And as many of them, who, we can say, don't be like say now. say nothing. You know, right. It's the, it's the Paul Ryan's, right. Paul Ryan. Or Lindsey Graham right now, is, who Graham is even is an enabler at this point, right. Crazy. But Paul Ryan is like, to me, is a face of, a, of cowardice. When you know better, you write and do interviews talking about how you know better. You're quoted saying you know better. And yet when push comes to shove, when the moment to stand presents itself, you decide, I can't do it. Like, that's just American cowardice to me. I did that, which is why, again, back to military, like to me, it, I know nothing about the military and I've never served, but I always feel like that's the thing that, that people talk about, right? That moment when your, your brothers rush in, so you rush in because 
that's what this is fucking about. Having each other's back, right? I mean, that's what people describe. And and I feel like, wow, this is the opposite of that. This is just messy, scared people, scared for just their careers, right? Not scared for life and death, not scared because someone's holding their family at gunpoint. They're just scared because maybe they won't get elected to the Senate again. Mm -hmm. That's sad. Well, I think you've given people a lot to think about. You've been a source of inspiration, especially as a role model for so many people coming up in the media. And even for me, as someone who's going from the world of activism into the world of media, which is daunting as hell. It feels crazier than leaving the military, going into the civilian world. But you've been incredibly important and inspiring. Um, and I'm grateful for that. Thank you And for I'm incredibly me. grateful for I your... I like that it's 90 degrees in here. I it's... feel like you should charge people for a spa. Most I feel like people I got, complain. Like, a sauna. But no, you told like me you were, you were you were excited about it. In the it. middle, I started getting a little schwitzy, but I actually, I feel like my skin is very soft now. Mine is too. Right? I think, yeah. Right, it's yes, all good. Yes. It's well, folks good. can watch the video <laughs> online. Soledad O'Brien can follow her on Twitter. Uh, she is an inspiring, important, and I think iconic American who's making a positive impact every day. Thank you so it's much for joining pleasure. us. my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. You bet.